This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Elkshape Podcast, this is Dan the Fitness Man. What's up, y'all? Hey, tonight we're bringing on a buddy of mine that I've known forever, and I actually haven't talked to him in over a decade, and we decided what better way to catch up than do it on a podcast. If you want to support this podcast Go to the Elk Shape store, look at some stuff, coffee mugs, swag, you name it, we got it. It helps run this beast. I appreciate all you hardcore, do-it-yourself, hardworking Americans that are uh, excited about elk hunting as much as I am and know that delayed gratification is what we're all about. We are working towards the big goal to prepare ourselves mentally and physically for the rigors of Mother Nature and Public Land Elk Hunting out west. It's the best test there is. I hope every day not a second is squandered and that you're doing something in the name of better elk hunting. Enjoy this episode with Drew. He's a really cool dude. He farms, he hunts, he harvests. He's a family man. He's blue collar. He's everything that we want to learn from. I hope you enjoy this. We talk about everything from business, personal development, and hunting, and some great elk tips in this one, guys. So check it out. All right, Elk Shape, we are live. We're rolling, and I got a buddy on here tonight that, believe it or not, I haven't talked to in almost a decade, and so this is like the first time we've connected, and we're going to do it while recording, and uh, his name is Drew, Drew Steinberger, and he's out of Montana, and uh, we're going to get to know him tonight and uh, learn from him as well. Drew, how you doing, man? I'm great, buddy. It's good to, good to reconnect and kind of weird to do it via uh, a podcast, but pretty cool all at the same time. Yeah, man. I There's no excuse, really. I can't even come up with one as to why we haven't stayed in touch, but uh, go ahead and fill everybody in on a little bit about your background, your family, and uh, your hunting, all that kind of stuff, what you do for a living, and all that good stuff. Yeah, well... Uh, I grew up in Montana, so, uh, you know, hunting and being in the outdoors is kind of, you're kind of born with it, I guess. So uh, I grew up in a super small town, eastern Montana, a little town called Forsyth. And actually, believe it or not, it's kind of funny because hunting really, I guess, isn't ingrained in everybody. My, my dad's from North Dakota, so 
my, I guess he was my mentor and teacher, and I'm not sure <laughs> everything I learned was, was good, but, um, you know, just always had opportunities as a young kid and, and being able to get out and, uh, I went to school in Missoula for college, you know, jumping, jumping all the way to my college years. And I went to college for, uh, recreation resource management. Oh it's in, yeah. It's in the, it's in the college of forestry. So I wanted to be, I don't know what I wanted to be. I wanted to be somebody who got to play outside and got paid to do it and did a couple of, um, couple of stints with the forest service during college and ended up with this degree and i moved back to Colstrip, montana of all places did you ever go to Colstrip? oh yeah i've hunted out of Colstrip, yeah. and it's really horrible hunting nobody ever go there <laughs> yeah sorry. it sucks that's for sure the town bucks in there like oh yeah that's just a town buck i'm like what just a 170 oh, yeah. inch buck rolling around in town ridiculous i remember we used to do some of our decoy testing so yeah so i moved to culture let me jump to that so i moved to culture i was working at this parks and rec department there super cool job i was grooming for this park director position and i lived across the street from this dude named jerry mcpherson and i had bought one of his decoys when i was in college uh when i first started getting into bow hunting and so I'm like, oh, cool. I live across the street from this guy. So I would just kind of pick his brain and, and I'd, I'd BS with Jerry and tell him what I liked or didn't like. And, you know, eventually one day he, he walked across the street. I was living at some guy's house. You know, I, I didn't have any money and just like all of us starting out. And so I'm living at a friend's parents' house in Colstrip, Montana. Uh, and Jerry knocks on the door and says, hey, I need you to come to work for me. I need somebody to do my marketing. And I mean, I kind of looked at him like, I'm like, you realize I went to the College of Forestry, right? And he's like, yeah, but you can talk to people, and I can't. <laughs> so, <laughs> so that's that's how I got into this career of marketing, and it was super cool because, I mean, obviously, when when you, you know, lots of people want to get into the industry, they they think, man, I want to do a hunting show, or I want to go work at this awesome uh, company that makes whatever widget and it just kind of fell into my lap and, you know, I got to, I got to help design product and, um, somehow I did marketing. I didn't even know what that meant. I, I think Google was a thing. So I probably Googled it back then. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, um, yeah. So, I mean, for almost four years, I, I worked with Jerry and it was super cool experience. That's where I met you. Um, I think you were, were you at uh, Sportsman's Warehouse at the time doing their, doing their publication and some of their stuff? Yep. Yeah, that's right. Dan, the fitness man. That's right. And, uh, oh, uh, Ashley McPherson. I, I don't, she's probably married oh. now, but working with her quite a bit as well. And uh, I remember seeing you guys at the ATA show and uh, Jerry, dude. Yeah, he's shy. He's pretty quiet, but, man, he's a hell of a hunter. To that if you ever hunt with that guy um you want to be in shape because he's first of all he's he's tall but then his legs are like abnormally long so every stride that jerry would take i, I would have to like you know take two or three to catch up with this dude and he could just hike for days yeah yeah and so, he put down some pretty big bulls in eastern montana uh, no he's he's killed some gargantuan elk and uh so i mean yeah i mean i got to work with this guy and pick his brain and you know, I got to hunt with him a little bit and 
um, just a super, super awesome start to a career. I mean, and everybody hopes to catch their break and I definitely caught mine with him and then went to Cabela's, uh, had a pretty cool gig with those guys for, for five years and, um, didn't want to leave Montana and I was kind of going in a direction where I had to leave the state with them. And so I ended up, um, getting a connection with, with another company called big R at the time. And anybody that lives, well, I suppose, actually there's lots of big R's. There's probably uh, plenty of them, you know, down in Colorado and, um, on the coast. And obviously there was some in Washington and Idaho. Cause that's, that's the ones that we own. And, um, I got to come on board with these guys, do a rebrand. We're, we're called North 40 Outfitters now, and I'm still in marketing. And uh, even though I push a desk, uh, you know, or drive a desk for work, I get to uh, still play a lot outdoors. And our stores are really unique because they have everything for your tractor and your 5,000 cattle that you own, or else they, you know, we, we carry just about every, every kind of boat that you can think from uh, expedition uh, Hoyt, PSC, Matthews, uh, Bowtech. Um, so we have, we have, we have pretty cool archery shops and then we, you know, we have fly shops and, you know, if you need to pick up some motor oil, we have that too. So it's almost like a sportsman's warehouse, except for you can get everything for all your feed, your cattle and tools. Dude, that sounds like a pretty sweet store. Uh, yeah, it's pretty, it's a good, it's a good place to have a discount at. <laughs> oh my gosh. There goes your paycheck. Exactly. exactly. Damn, that's pretty cool. So, what's your job title, or what do you, what's your day to day to day look like with those guys? Yeah, day to day, I'm I'm called the channel coordinator, and I work I work with really with everybody in the company. So, I'm working with the buying team who's buying products daily. Um, I'm working with them to help coordinate, uh, you know, all those flyers and things that you get in the mail, and all those weird uh, emails that you get that are creeping on you. I'm, I'm, I get to help be a part of that. Um, and then, and all the events that we do at the store, I get to have my hands kind of in all that stuff. And then local donations, um, you have to fill out a form, so don't call me directly, please. (laughs) But I I get to, I get to help with all the community groups. So it's, it's, it's pretty cool because I get to do a lot of different things on a daily basis. And usually no two days are, are similar. No, that's cool. And, uh, so you've been there for four years and then on the good stuff, I mean, so you're, you're building yourself a career. you got a great job. You live in Montana where you want to be. Tell us about yep. your family. Yeah, I have, oh, man, getting old. i got a family and a wife and a couple of mortgages and all that good stuff. I have, I have a, uh, my oldest daughter is going to be eight, and my youngest daughter is going to be two, both here in a couple months. Uh, I've been married for almost Three years? Yeah, three years. Don't tell my wife. I almost forgot that. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's pretty interesting. It's a balancing act, you know, family, especially my, my oldest daughter. Uh, her mom lives in, in a different state, so, you know, I have to do a lot of, um, you know, a lot of extra things there just because of that whole situation. But it's, uh, it's rewarding nonetheless, and, you know, that, that time is precious with her, so it's it's pretty cool when I get to have both my girls in the same place. Yeah, definitely. Uh, so you don't make boys because you hunt, probably. <laughs> I never yeah. thought I would have a son. I was surprised when we found out. Really surprised. Yeah. Pleasantly surprised. But little girls, I've talked about it before. My daughter, I'm so wrapped around her finger. I'm so mm-hmm. screwed. 
But no, I'm, I'm convinced. I'm convinced my girls though are going to be really badass. I mean, they're gonna they're gonna go out there and and crush it, and you know they're gonna do it on their own, and they're gonna do it right. And I guess if they want to, uh, nobody's gonna force them to. But you know, my oldest girl, her first word was buck, so I I think it's written in the stars. And then the one I got now, she you know she's not even two, and she can name just about every animal you see in the in the store. Yes, that's awesome. Let's get into hunting a little bit. Um, last I remember, you like to get after it. You hunt a little bit of everything. Uh, what's your favorite animal to hunt, and um, what's your season looking like for 2018? Yeah, my my favorite thing to hunt now is is elk. So this this is a great conversation to have, right? But I uh, I got into uh, to archery hunting for antelope and people thought I was freaking crazy. I'm like, I thought all of my friends were crazy at Missoula who were like you know, climbing these mountains and chasing elk. And like, I'd never even seen an elk. You know, these, these damn things were so elusive to me. I remember in high school, I think I was a freshman or I must've been a sophomore. Cause I, I don't know if I had my license by then, but my old man let me, me and a buddy take his truck from Forsyth to wisdom, Montana. And you're looking at a map that's a long ways away. For you know, a sixteen-year-old, for two sixteen-year-old boys to just up and leave, and you know, we went there a couple years in a row, and the only time I saw an elk was on the side of the road, and so I just, you know, I thought this whole elk hunting thing was, you know, a ghost story. I didn't, I didn't think they were real, and so when I got into college, and I, I had to take so Montana, you have to pass a bow hunter's education uh, course. To bow hunt, I was kind of part of that transition because for a while there, anybody with a pulse could just bow hunt, and then they they switched it up. So I, and here I was like I was like twenty two or twenty one taking a class with a bunch of twelve year olds. Yep. Um, so that was kind of that was kind of humbling. So and, and I was with my roommate Chris at the time, and he took me elk hunting a couple times in Missoula, and again I was just like I never saw any elk and. I was like, well, I'm going to go back home and hunt antelope because I can always get a tag. There's like a billion of these things around here. Like, why would you hunt something that you can't find? So fast forward, when I started working for, for McPherson at Montana Decoy, he introduced me to elk hunting. And, you know, the first time I, I went and started hearing bugles and, you know, actually seeing an elk on a hunt, like that was a motivating thing. And I, I, was, I was hooked, but it took a long time, Dan. My learning curve was so slow i i think i hunted elk for six years before i even drew my bow back yes you know i think a lot of people would just quit i mean i don't know what you think but i i'm sure there's times there where i wanted to quit but i remember that first time i got to draw i was i was set up in this draw actually i was with jerry and ashley on on this hunt and um, Jerry and I were hunting together for the first couple of days. And so this would have been like 2009. Yeah, 2009-ish. Ashley came to camp. So him and her and Jerry went, went off on their own. I'm like, well, that's cool, you know, father, daughter, whatever. And I, they just dropped me off in a different drainage, and they just went further down. It was super cold. It was super dark. And I'm sitting there, and, you know, you're reflecting on six years of pain and misery and kicking yourself in the ass. And why am I spending all this money? And really doubting myself and i i got into this canyon and i waited for daylight and i ripped out a bugle and i instantly got this bugle back and it was like the most 
beautiful angelic noise I'd ever heard in my life. It was it was something out of a Primos video. It was it was perfect. And then I heard these perfect cow calls, you know, these these perfect mews in in sync. And then you know, like this estrus mew and then this regular mew. And I'm like, yes, I'm I'm doing it. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, it kind of flashed in my brain. I'm like, no, this is not good. Because I had seen a truck driving down behind us. And instantly, I went back to the negative. I was like, man, I bet that, that noise was too perfect. Those cow calls were too perfect. I bet some joker's up above me here uh, cow, you know, calling back to me. And so I just kind of threw my bow over my shoulder, and I just started marching up this drainage. I, I was just – I was – sure that that whatever i heard wasn't a real elk and i'm just about to crest this this drainage and i see antlers you know like 50 yards in front of me coming right at me and i just <laughs> i i'm sitting on this cattle trail i'm freaking out because i don't know what the hell to do because you know i've never been in this situation very much and i i knocked an arrow and i just kneeled right down you know total rookie move right in there right in this path in this bull crested the hill, stared me down at like 15 yards. And I just, I just remember sitting there, you know, I'm sure I was shaking like a leaf, but he walked right by me. Like I could almost reach out and touch him. Oh. And, I, <laughs> I know, and, and, and when he was coming over, I didn't want to draw cause you know, I've, I've heard lots of horror stories and, and I've been lucky to be around a lot of people who, who are good elk hunters and, Everybody I know that's that's really seasoned and experienced has said, you know, just don't take that, you know, don't take that frontal shot, you know, you know, unless you're like, I don't know, a million percent confident in it. And so I didn't draw back. That elk stared me down. He's walking past me. I can, you know, I can see his bloodshot eyes, and I can, you know, there's mud dripping off of him. And I'm like, oh my god, this is like, this is the coolest moment of my life. Yes. Um, I'd rank it up there almost with, you know, the birth of my daughters. <laughs> yeah. And so this, this elk walks past me. I come full draw facing away and I'm like, all right, I'm full draw. He's still just walking away. I'm just going to spin and shoot this bugger right behind the shoulder. It's going to be lights out. And as soon as I spun, you know, he floored out of there and, you know, I actually cow called him back twice and I was able to draw on him again. And, uh, it, I never connected, but, uh, it was still super cool. And that was like, that was kind of my moment. I finally had gotten close. I got to draw back. Um, I made all the right moves kind of, and I, I felt like this elk hunting thing wasn't so ghostly anymore. Yeah, definitely. So this podcast is all about that action. I mean, we literally like to cater to those blue collar guys that yep. are cutting their teeth. Maybe they haven't punched their tag ever. Or maybe mm-hmm. they had success, but it was in spurts, and it's the con- continuity is not quite there yet. Take us through kind of like, and I don't know if you're going to remember everything, but maybe a couple of highlight lessons learned along the journey that uh, changed the game for you. One of the one of the things that I learned there, and the things that I've slowly learned along the way, and and I had a conversation with with Chuck Adams about it. Actually, I had lots of conversations with Chuck. Did you just uh, drop Chuck Adams? name like like you've talked to chuck and hung out well so this is this is the cabela's thing man like so I, i've got to work for some really cool places and people so uh when i worked at cabela's in in billings um 
Well, let me time Chuck out this. Listed. If you're a listener and you know who Cameron Haynes is, but you don't know who Chuck Adams is, hit pause, figure out your life, and go research Chuck Adams. Go read his books. This is, this is the guy that I looked up to growing up, and you got to know about him. I mean, have you read his books? Uh, uh, no, I haven't. Oh, my gosh. He's a phenomenal writer. And he's been there, done everything. He was one of the first ones to take it to that level. So, anyways, I'm sorry to interrupt you. So, you're just talking to yeah. Chuck Adams. No big deal. So, so no big deal. I'm talking to Chuck. Um, he, he used to come to the store all the time because he lived in Wyoming. And I'll, I'll do my best not to name drop anymore, you know, superstars for you. Good Lord. But um, <laughs> he, he would come up and do, he would actually do book signings. And I'm, I'm super embarrassed now that, that I haven't read his book. So, Chuck, I'm sorry. Because I'm sure he listens to your podcast, actually. Probably you, every You'd be surprised. Day. I'm sure. And we're, we're sitting in the deli at Cabela's. And, again, anybody I can take an opportunity to learn from, I, I do. You know, I, I'm, I'm always asking questions. And, and trying to get better in, in that respect. And, and so I was kind of, kind of talking to him about some of my woes and, you know, and, and Chuck's killed some big bulls. So if, let me give you some history. If you don't remember, I think in like 2000 in the year, it was, it was 2000 or 2001, he killed the world record elk. Yeah. On the booth ranch yep. out there. And yeah. yeah. And that was, the, he broke his own record from a couple years prior up in the breaks. Wow. So, so the dudes killed some big elk, right? And so I'm, I'm asking him about this, and he's like, you know, Drew, he's like, I don't call at all, like zero. And I'm like, what? You know, and this is all, you know, because everything that we see now, I mean, there's, there's lots of commercials and shows, and even back then, man, it was, you know, getting these elk to bugle and rip off in your face and, and who's got the best call and this and that. And, and those things are, are definitely, I'm not saying don't ever call because that would be bad advice, but I think that's what, you know, I'm in marketing. So I'm, I'm here to tell you that we're trying to get you to buy stuff. Right. And that's what a lot of these companies are trying to do. You know, they want you to buy their stuff. And it never dawned on me that, yeah, you know, you're right. Maybe I'm just, maybe I'm overdoing it. And, you know, a lot of times you can really relate. I just went turkey hunting last weekend, and you can relate turkey hunting to elk hunting so much, and I never realized it until I started killing elk, and I'm like, God dang it. Yeah. A, a mature gobbler is a lot like a bull elk. And just this last weekend, we had a, I called a turkey and across the Yellowstone River at my dad's farm. He came up. He only gobbled one time. I mean, this bird flew a quarter of a mile across the river to find the hen huh. and only gobbled once, snuck in around us, and then gobbled behind me, I about crapped my pants. And luckily I had the guy, the shooter in the right position. He was able to, to make a shot on it. But I was like, man, it's just like a big bull elk, you know. He's, he knows what he wants. He's coming in. But he's not always going to let you know what he's doing. He's going to do it on his terms. And that Tom was doing it on, on his turf and on his terms. And so that, that moment with Chuck was, was kind of my epiphany. But it was part of like a long epiphany, right? And the more I hunted and the more I had encounters, the more I learned that, hey, man, if I call less and move more, I'm getting closer to elk. I'm getting more opportunities at elk. I'm seeing more elk. Um, everything about it just started to click for me. And so that's, you know, when I'm marching through the woods and every time I want to rip off a bugle just because it's fun, I'm like, move more, call less, move more, call less, you know, hit the glass. You know, be patient. And I still call plenty because trust me, I, I love, I love the interaction as much as the next person, but 
I think when it comes down to game time scenarios, when I'm when I'm 150 yards or less from an animal, I am I'm, I'm relying on stealth way more than I'm re- relying on on calling to to a bull. Definitely, man, that's solid advice. I would agree a hundred percent. The less I call, the more I get into elk and. Mm. Being five foot six does help where I hunt, and it's a little bit thicker. I'm a little bit of a forest ninja, but uh, the more I call, the more you've gotten I... bigger since we met. <laughs> yes, I grew it up a couple inches. No, that's funny. I uh, I do think the more I call, the more I get into satellite bulls. Quite honestly, and there's nothing yeah. wrong with that. But when you're trying to kill a herd bull, I I've almost never had. I mean, I can't say never because I've killed a couple. Uh, calling but most of the herd bulls i've ever smoked would was just literally run silent run deep like randy ulmer does it again if mm-hmm. you don't know who that is look him up <laughs> and obviously chuck does it and these guys between the two of them kill some incredible elk with archery consistently so i think that's pretty huge advice what other little tips along the way i think that's definitely the best one but what other things you got man you know being being aggressive in my movement um I mean, I'm I'm not five six, but I'm certainly not a big person by any means. And I I think a lot of times when when I'm putting the final move on a on a bull or or whatever it is that I'm moving on, I'm I feel like you can almost get into a zone with an animal where they're looking past you. Mm-hmm. And if if you can get into that, I mean, super tight quarters, like we're talking like seventy five yards now. You know, I feel like these animals aren't aren't looking in that space. I mean, that's already their safe zone and you know, the, the bull I killed last year and the bull I killed the year before, you know, the bull I killed the year before that, I mean, I was, I was super tight the, the year before. I was like, all of them, I can think I was, I was like 100 yards or less. And I'm not being super stealthy, like crawling on my belly, you know, taking off all of my clothes, you know, anything like crazy secretive like that. I'm just... I'm, I'm using my terrain correctly. I'm of course using my wind correctly because I've only killed, I've killed one elk that I'm pretty sure was, uh, his nose didn't work. But besides that, I mean, those types of things, um, what's, what's a really good example? Like last, uh, two years ago, I, it was, uh, it was September 11th. Uh, and I was setting up elk camp for my buddies. So I was, I was, I'm a glutton for punishment. I like to go down early I like to set the wall tent. Mostly I like to give a couple days of hunting by myself. Yeah. Because uh, I really I really enjoy. I mean, I, I enjoy, I love hunting with my friends. Um, my buddy Chris, who lives in Coeur d'Alene, we've, we've been elk hunting together for, uh, I can't remember how many years in a row now. But, you know, having just a, a, a few days to really just decompress and, and do it on my own. So I'm, it's, it's 9-11. Um, you know, it's kind of already, you know, that day is already important in my life and everybody's lives you know who's who kind of lived through that period yeah and sitting up on this ridge it's, it's sunday so I, I have to drive home and i'm i'm not really expecting anything because i went out the night before you know and and i didn't see or hear anything and it was super hot i can't remember if i bugled first or he bugled for one of us bugled and the other one bugled back so i all of a sudden so i know i'm i'm into elk i'm like well this is let me just bop down here and see what happens they're probably like a half a mile away and so i I blow into this drainage and I get down a little bit closer and all of a sudden one bugle turned into five bugles. And I'm like, wow, there's a lot of elk in here. Yeah. <laughs> this is, this turned out pretty cool all of a sudden. So 
I'm, I'm running this ridge line, and I didn't I didn't want to drop into the canyon. I'm I'm always trying to keep I'm always trying to keep that advantage. And uh, you know, if you get stuck in the bottom of a canyon, you know, getting out is isn't nearly as easy as getting in, right? And you can't hear as well um, when you drop in. Yeah, when you commit, your hearing is going to be deflected a little bit. Big time, big time. So I knew that I was I'd actually passed some elk, and I kind of did that on purpose because I knew I kind of I could hear what at the very bottom and then there's a, there's a big water hole down there. So, I mean, I'd hunted this area before I, I knew what the terrain was like. And so that, that bull that I could hear down below just sounded studly. And, you know, th- that could be really deceiving too. I mean, I've, I've killed a couple of cool bulls that their bugles sounded like the weakest thing you'd ever heard, you know? So don't always go on that, but I, I couldn't help it. This guy just sounded rough and tough. And so I wanted to bull after him first. And I kind of figured, well, if I go to the bottom, and work on this bull and it doesn't work out i can just work my way back up and um, you know hunt my way back to the truck and so i i dive into this canyon and right away I, I get into one of these the first bull that's that's kind of in the middle here and i see him through the timber you know under 100 yards and i gave him a little cow call and he looked up and just walked away and so immediately i'm like well i Maybe they're just having a little bugle fest here. It's kind of a boys' day, and they're not really interested in in you know rutting or cows or anything like that. So, I mean, I'm not the world's greatest caller, but I'm also not the worst caller. So, I mean, it, I can I can hit a mule on a diaphragm, and it sounds sort of okay. And so, for him to just walk away, just kind of was my indication that that morning, I'm like, all right, it's you know, and they're not going to come running into you, lovesick. Yeah. So, I, so I worked down, and I got down to that pond. And that bull had already already started working his way up a different drainage, and you know I was busting my way out of there trying to catch up to him, and um, it wasn't happening. He was he was moving, and, and I knew I was coming back in a week, so I didn't want to. I also wasn't in a big hurry to run everything out of the country, so I just doubled back and I worked my way back up, and I heard those heard that bull bugle again, and I just started. I got back up on the ridge line again, so I'm working that ridge line. And I'm working back up past where I had dumped in and through the timber, I can, I can see a bull in the timber and I can see him breaking his horns and it's probably like 200 yards. So I drop my pack and I slip in there and I get up to where I should be like really, really tight. And he's not there. I'm like, what the, you know, where'd this elk go? And so I ran back, grabbed my pack and I rushed back up there and I just kept working my way up that ridge. And all of a sudden, I started hearing this mew sound. You know, it it, it kind of sounded like a cow, but it was it was kind of a little more. I don't know if it was lower or more nasally. Anyways, I I started just I kept going up this ridge, and all of a sudden, I see two two six point bulls out in the middle of this narrow little park, working their way up the up the fence line, and they're mewing back and forth to each other. And, uh, I don't know how many times you've seen two bulls sit there and mew with each other, but it was the first time I had, I had encountered that, and I was like, "Huh, oh, this is this is kind of cool." And it just it was just sagebrushy. Um, there wasn't a lot of cover, and my friends make fun of me about this hunt all the time because Dan, I literally I, I knew I wasn't going to call these bulls in because um, I knew the moment I called, they were going to look up and see that nothing was there, and you know, be out of the country. So. I'm, you know, I turned into Elmer Fudd and I literally just walked towards them. Like I would get like a tree between them and I. Yeah. 
and I, and I would just walk to that tree. And then there would be maybe another random tree. And so I went from like 200 yards to 150 yards. And then, you know, I picked like a big clump of sagebrush and I'm like, well, I'll just, yeah, maybe I can get to there. And so I would just walk and every time they would stop and pick their head up, I would just stop and I would just kind of do like the slow elevator, uh, you know, decline down into the sagebrush. <laughs> yep. And they were just, they were just sitting there mewing, just, you know, move, they were still moving. And so I'm having to keep up with them and they're getting close to the ridge top. And I'm just working my way up this, this ridge, this little park. And all of a sudden I'm at like 75 yards and I'm like, holy smokes, I'm really close. Um, this might actually happen, you know? And so I've already got an arrow knocked and I actually, I remember arranging a piece of sagebrush. And I go, if I can get to that sagebrush, I'm going to be 50 yards. And that's, that's doable for me. Yep. And got to that sagebrush and they hadn't moved. And I was like, wow, this is, this is kind of cool. And the actually, so this is the, I'm, I'm usually not too picky. I usually shoot the first, you know, like uh, branch antler bull that I get to, but I had, there was, there was two six points and the first six point was like 40 yards. And the second one was 50 yards and I definitely went for the bigger one. So yeah. <laughs> I, I hope nobody's mad about that, but, um, I couldn't help myself as I, it was definitely a difference. The, the bull I shot ended up being like, I don't know, like mid three forties ish. So the other bull was like probably like three twenty. but yeah, man, I, I drew back and this is the, this is the only time I've ever shot a bull where he had no idea what, neither of them had any idea what happened. So I, I whacked that bull. I mean, center mass crunched him and he did a quick 180 and just stood there. The other bull jumped the fence and then just stood there. And I just sat there crouched and I'm like, well, they're not running. So this is good. And I didn't pass through that bull. Okay. But I could, and he, he turned. So the, the bull that jumped the fence, he started walking up the fence line and then that other bull turned to walk with him, and I, you know, I was buried all the way in, yeah. and I could see it was already, you know, he was already all bloody and stuff like that. It was pretty, it was pretty cool. But yeah, you know, sometimes you don't have to be, you don't have to take your boots off. I mean, again, if you, if you can do those things, that's great. But sometimes, if you just use your terrain and you use what's given to you, that's that's enough, and you only have to do enough, right? You don't have to do everything. Yeah, dude, such good advice. And a 340 bull is outstanding, man. That's pretty cool. So for this year, Montana draw results have been postponed. What's up with that? <laughs> um, I mean, there's multiple theories out there. I mean, maybe somebody didn't draw their tag and they made a phone call and said, uh, uh, reshuffle the deck, boys. Yep, yep. So <laughs> I'm going to go with that probably isn't the case. Yeah. <laughs> um, the other theory out there is that maybe they've got, they've got, I mean, that's a lot of money that they're holding on to, right? So maybe they've got it tied up in Bitcoin or, you know, Wall Street or something like that. And they're, you know, they need to make a few more bucks. So they want to hold on to it for another week. Do you blame them? No. No. Hell no. Yeah. <laughs> so Montana changed their tag system, I don't know, six or seven years ago. I don't know how, what it was, but, but yeah. back in the day, uh, there was this, well, we'll just talk about how it is now. Mm-hmm. You have to draw, uh, put in for the draw and yep. even for a general tag. And for a few years there, they upped the price basically is what they did. And so I think a tag's eight fifty ish for a guy like me who doesn't live in Montana. 
and it's pretty mm-hmm. steep. And then you can add a mule deer to that for 150 bucks. So for a thousand bucks, you got a combo tag. And you still have to put in for the general. Well, for quite a few years, Montana was always my backup plan because they, when they upped the price, they didn't sell their tags, you know? Mm-hmm. And last year was the first year where I was like done in Idaho. And I'm like, I'm going to hunt Montana. It's October. I love hunting elk early October archery. And mm-hmm. uh, no bueno. They were all sold mm-hmm. out. And I imagine yeah, for the past gonna... Yeah, the past couple of years, they've, they've sold out during the draw there's been uh the elk deer combo there's been a few leftovers maybe two years ago but that's it's pretty much all gone away and i know a lot of guys used to do the same thing where that was that was plan b and it was easy because yeah i mean a thousand bucks that's a lot of money to drop on a on a tag yeah definitely and in this general tag even you know so but it's i think people have caught on to the fact that montana has a very generous archery season well really six weeks of archery and five weeks of rifle, you definitely get your opportunities. Yeah. Montana is a state for opportunity. That's, that's how our fish, wildlife and parks. I mean, they, they, they manage for opportunity. Uh, it's definitely an experienced state. Sure. There's still lots of big critters, but I mean, they're, they're not behind every bush uh, or tree or piece of sagebrush. That's for sure. Yeah. And when I hunt Montana for the most part, I mean, and, and this is probably why I don't hunt there as my first choice is and i do have onyx maps premium so i mean i'm i'm pretty well equipped to know how to hunt elk that are near private but man they the elk know better than onyx maps where the private and where the public is and (laughs) it can be pretty frustrating hunting montana yeah i i live and die by that thing i am they i should own stock in their company i swear to god about every two years i lose my gps and their stuff Actually, just this last year, I found my Oregon 550 in an old pair of boots I hadn't worn in a couple of years, and I, I went one season with borrowing somebody's, and then this past season, I finally broke down and bought a new one, and then I found my old one. So if anybody wants to buy my old GPS, it's for sale. Um, but yeah, and actually, I just this is the first year I just downloaded it on my phone and my lap. I, well, it's the first year I bought a laptop since 2005. So I can tell you that I got an Oregon 550 for sale right now because <laughs> I switched to the app last year when it came out, and I just kept my phone on airplane mode, and mm-hmm. I went ahead and downloaded everywhere I thought I might go. My um, so I, I always get a cell phone with a ton of memory on it just because no one wants to run out of memory. So never. I downloaded everything and everywhere I might go, and uh, it was quite the game changer for me. My GPS is not going with me anymore, and when you can put your waypoints on your computer and it syncs with your phone, or I can text you a waypoint, and you can just drop it onto your map, and they added a new topo, and there's a ton of sick layers that you can put on there to, if you want to find old burns or and get the most recent information on burns and i feel like i'm selling it for people but they're a partner (laughs) of mine for a reason because this is about public land hunting and that's just a tool that i think it's a must to effectively hunt public land especially in montana if anyone's got their tag in their hand get that app out and start downloading places you want to go and all those all those examples i gave you i mean every every piece of that was on public land i've I've never killed an elk on private properties which i mean it's not a bad thing if i had but I've just never had that opportunity. Well, in my book, it makes you way cooler to kill a 340 public land. And it's very rewarding, you know. Oh, You're out there with yeah. other guys who probably could have bought their tags at Walmart as well. And 
Those elk get hunted hard year after year. And you're in Montana. You got grizzlies and wolves and bears. And I mean, it's a hard living in Montana with those winters. You're hunting a pretty worthy quarry. And uh, yeah, kudos to you, man. And you snuck in and did it like the big boys do. So I think we've dropped some pretty good nuggets here. Let's transition to a little bit of personal development stuff. I try to always touch on something. With you and a wife and two girls, how do you... How do you don't have to go into as much detail as you don't want to, but how do you manage your finances to make sure that you're you're able to take the time off, able to have your bills paid, and be able to hunt where you want to hunt? Like, what's your financial philosophy when it comes to hunting? Yeah, man, I'm I'm not strict in my life with with a lot of things. I mean, I'm not. uh, I'm definitely. I see all your stuff, man. So, like, my physique is not your physique. Um, my routines are not your routines, but certain things in my life, I, I am very strict with and, and one of them is, is my personal time. And so before my wife and I even got married, she went kind of make her go through, but she went through three hunting seasons. There so you she go. got, she got the full experience, you know, she knew what it was all about. And actually I proposed to her when she shot her first antelope. She knows how important that is to me. But on the flip side, I mean, of course, you know, your kids are very important. So there's there's quite the balancing act there. So how do I go into uh, buying brownie points? I mean, it is I don't tell my is. wife. <laughs> I don't tell my wife no when when she wants to go do things. You know, last September, my my coworkers thought I was absolutely nuts. My wife went to Hawaii without me last September. She went with uh, a couple good friends of ours, actually godparents to to my daughters. And so she went with them. Um, actually, I was, we were in their wedding, too. Anyway, so she went to Hawaii, man, you know, and I went elk hunting for eight days. So there's, there's kind of that trade. And, and to do that, you know, I, I have, you know, limited amount of vacation days. And I, I don't go to the lake in the summer and drink beer and wakeboard. I mean, I still drink beer. I just do it at home and, yeah. <laughs> and <laughs> do, it, do it while I'm, I'm gardening. So, you know, I'm... Uh, I do a lot of that stuff close to home. Um, and again, you know, with, with my daughter, uh, living with her mom in, in Texas, it also kind of adds in a, a different dimension there too, because when she is home, uh, you know, I do have to portion out a, a good chunk of my time, you know, my, my vacation time for her, because, you know, if I only see my daughter 10 or 12 weeks a year, you know, I don't want it just to be on Saturday and half a Sunday and go to bed early because I got to go to work the next day. So, um, yeah, it's it's a it's a fine line to walk, but I I map it out. Like I already know all my days for the rest of the year. I have everything laid out um, from now through the end of goose season in you know next January. Finances. I've always been you know my dad was a magician with money, and I got part of that from him. I'm really good at hoarding money for the right things, and I don't buy a lot of new things. You know, I, I kind of made a joke like I hadn't bought a laptop since 2005, but like. A bunch of people have a lot of devices and, and things, and, and I don't. You know, I, I still shoot, Dan, the same bow that I got when I worked with Jerry at Montana Decoy. Yeah. Um, every year, you know, and actually I, I'm bummed because I wanted to catch you at, at ATA this last year because I've been the last two years in a row. I just hadn't had a chance to cross paths. But, you know, last year, two years ago, I really wanted the, uh, the Synergy, the Prime Synergy. Mm-hmm. And then this year when I went, I really wanted the new, the new Hoyt Works. That bow was super slick. But when it came down to it, 
I was like, well, I could just put a $80 string on my bow and it's basically brand new, right? <laughs> you know, so. Are you shooting a single cam bow? Uh, no, I'm shooting the, the PSE, um, oh, what was, what was their bow, their new bow that came out 10 years ago? Oh yeah, I couldn't tell you. <laughs> I, I couldn't tell you Hoyt's <laughs> 10 years ago. Uh, so anyways, it was their, uh, it was the dream season. It was, cause I remember it was, uh, the Drury's had their dream season version of that bow. Oh man, this is bad. I can't even remember what my bow is, but no, it doesn't matter. Camp. At the time it was a speed bow, you know, now it's been so far surpassed, but I mean, I still shoot like 300 feet per second with a, you know, pushing like a 440 grain arrow. So I'm, I'm still throwing lots of kinetic energy downrange. Yeah, definitely. So, what's your setup for elk arrow-wise, broadhead? Um, you know, I'm—I uh, don't want to say I'm all over the board, but uh, for the longest, no, I'm, I'm an experimenter, man. That's hell yeah. Now that, now that I think about it, so I was for a long time I was shooting muzzy, and then you know the rage thing came out, and I, I kind of tried those, and I wasn't super impressed. Um, hurt, you know, had some, not just with, with rage, but just, you know, mechanicals in general and didn't hear a lot of good things. So I, I went to switch back and I was, ended up shooting the G5 Montex, uh, for a while. And one year I pulled off a, a tri, the Montana trifecta. I killed a antelope, a deer and a bow on the same, you know, with my bow on the same season, all within like two weeks or something like that. It was Jeez. ridiculously long. It was pretty cool. And, you know, then, then the next year I shot an antelope in the magical void you know I'd, I'd heard about the you know the pass-through zone where you hit nothing and i was like man that's a bunch of bs that is not true oh, until i true. did it it's true yeah and, <laughs> until i did it and then some kid ended up shooting that same antelope like four weeks later during rifle season so i you know i i was like wow that's that's a pretty legit uh you know myth that's it's been it's been confirmed so, so I wanted to switch to a, a larger, so the, the Montex were like an inch and 16th. They're, they're really small yeah. diameters. I, I switched to the, uh, whatever G5's Magnum, uh, Monster Whacker Broadhead. I can't remember this name, but it was an inch and a half cut. It was 125 grain. I mean, I was, when I was hitting animals, you know, you know, 85 pounds of, uh, kinetic energy. I mean, it was flat crushing and blowing through um, everything. And I killed, I killed a couple elk with that and then had no good reason to switch other than the fact that, you know, life caught up with me one archery season and I wasn't completely dialed in about, Oh, a week or two weeks before season. And, you know, I was trying to get my broadheads tuned in. And for some reason I just, I wasn't shooting right. And things weren't happening. You know, of course we have a pro shop, you know, like five blocks away from my house. So I was back and forth all the time at North 40 and for the life of me, I just couldn't get something to fly right. So um, I won't name drop, but but I name drop. But I panicked and called another person I know who's killed a boatload of elk, and I knew that he used mechanical broadheads. And I I was talking to him, and, and I was like, man, like I'm just having lots of troubles. Like, what do you recommend? Like, I'm really wary of shooting a mechanical, but what do you recommend? And and so I ended up shooting the the striker. Oh no, yeah. striker! Name of the uh, what's the what's the T the T three from G five? Okay, okay. And it, they just changed those into another name, but basically the same broadheads. Anyways, um, that's what I killed that bull with that that uh, the Elmer Fudd sneaking up on a bull. 
And then I shot uh, a really nice bull last year, quartering away about, I didn't even range him. I knew he was about 40-ish yards or whatever. And I have never seen devastation like I've seen. I mean, it was the first time I'd hit an, an elk and I saw blood spurt before he even had a chance to whirl. Oh, so, yeah. I mean, it was ridiculously awesome. So I got up to like where his first footprint was and there was already like, you know, where he spun, you could see the spray of blood in the grass and it was like, wow, this thing is legit. And, uh, you know, he made it, he made it about 150 yards before he piled up. So I've used those the last two years and, Maybe I'll get bored and try something else this year. I don't know. But I just, you know, I shoot gold tip arrows. Uh, uh, nothing fancy there. They're just a workhorse. Um, shot the same Scott release since I had my bow. So it's a 10-year-old release. I've had to update a couple of things just because the plastic has gotten so sun-rotted out on a few of my, like my, uh, my uh, dampeners. And I switched over to a tight spot quiver this last year. That was pretty nice. Yes, uh, I love so every year, quivers. Yeah, I was super happy. It definitely reduced my. I mean, I could tell a difference in my first shot that boy, my bow was kind of noisy, and then I put that on, and, and it made a big difference. Um, I've been shooting the same drop away rest. What, what were those rests that Dan uh, Evans used to make? Oh, uh, trophy taker, smackdown. Uh, yep, the smackdown. So I've been shooting the smackdown for eight or nine years. I. Because I had I had some PSE stuff on my bow for the first couple of years before I re-rigged it all, but so yeah, I mean, pretty pretty basic. So you know, back to finances. I mean, I don't get a lot of new stuff. I've had the same truck for a while. Um, I spend money on my on my hobbies and passion. I've had a couple side hustles where I, I make some some money on the side, and I kind of put that in. Ooh, in tell me about your side hustles real quick. Which I'll, I'll give you my, my, my most recent, uh, and this is one of the coolest things I've ever gotten into, is I, I keep honeybees now. Awesome. Yeah, man. And people love local, fresh, raw honey. And I just got stung in the face like four or five times the other day. So if I charge you $10 <laughs> for a jar of honey and you complain about the price, I'm going to be like, listen, bro, I got stung in the face a lot of times for that honey. So. <laughs> <laughs> so you will like it and you will pay it. That's awesome. One other side hustle. And I love the word side hustle, by the way. I think that's awesome. Uh, my other one, kind of kind of doing like some, some kind of like, what's the word? Uh, the food movement, you know, is, is very popular. And uh, I have a, my lot in town is actually a third of an acre. It's kind of big. And I've always loved the garden. And people have these really expensive uh, CSAs, uh, community supported agriculture. Yeah. And so in big cities, people pay like five, six, $700 to be a part of a CSA and they show up once a week and they get a box of food. And so I love the garden anyways. I mean, the first thing I did when I moved into my house was I ripped up most of that third of an acre and started a vegetable garden. And the next year I was like, man, that was really expensive and a lot of work. And I gave away boatloads of food and so I'm like, I wonder if my friends would all pay me a few hundred bucks to grow food for them. So lo and behold, I started, uh, I actually have a little Facebook group. We call it Kinsley's Co-op. That's my oldest daughter's name is Kinsley. And even though it's not a co-op, it just sounded good. So it's, it's a CSA in my backyard. And um, it's one of the ways, you know, that we, 
I don't know that I really save any money, but, you know, we definitely eat really well in the summer. It's tons of fun. And, um, you know, I make a little bit of cash on the side and I kind of stick that off into my, my, uh, honey jar for, uh, for a rainy day or, uh, one day a new bow. Maybe I'll get that, that new, uh, works one of these days. Dude, I uh, love everything you've said so far. I really dig the side hustle. I think revenue streams are important. I think in being frugal uh, is not a bad thing. I, th- I call it discipline. I mean, shiny objects are cool, but I think tags are even way cooler. So maybe guys listening out there want the latest and greatest. But, man, just go get your elk tag. Go get your other tags and go get some experiences. That's what you're going to take with you when you depart. And uh, I think it's great solid advice and it's you're living it man you're like no my bow i don't even know what name it is it shoots awesome and if it ain't broke don't fix it and i think yep. that's one thing about the honey industry that could kind of drives me nuts is the latest and greatest guys are always worried about gear and equipment i get a lot of emails messages dms about this that the other and uh it gets repetitive it's just like you know it don't go scout Go, mm-hmm. go, you know, scour some maps and do some Google Earth. Yeah, go do, go do yeah, it. Go do something rather than go think about doing it and shopping on, you know, whatever.com, right? And find a side hustle. I think it's awesome. You know, Elk Shape is my side hustle. I have a real job. I own a gym and it's a shit ton of work to run that thing. But I am passionate about elk hunting and I found a way to monetize that. And I'm not raking in major dough. But I love what I'm doing. So make sure your side hustle is something that you enjoy. I would say that's yeah. really, really important. Um, well, let's end, on this. Next, let's end on this, yeah. Drew. I want to know, what is something that you're very disciplined about that you want to brag? Like, is it I'm religious about shooting my bow or whatever it might be or eating really good vegetables that you grew yourself? That's whatever. But name something that maybe you wish you could be a little bit more disciplined about. And hopefully you can. Don't mind sharing that. Uh, as I get older, uh, th- and that's why I, I kind of got back, I don't want to say back into like following you, but like, that's why I got back into, you know, watching and listening to what you're doing because, uh, as we age, you know, I don't, I don't drop my winter weight as fast as I used to, Dan. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, so that's something that, that I really want to do better with, you know, and it's, you know, it's lots of excuses, right? You know, kids are an easy excuse and, I drive a desk, you know, out for work and that's, that's an easy excuse and, you know, just too busy, right? That's, that's an easy excuse. And so I, uh, I think 2018, um, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to keep following and I've, uh, you know, been inspired by you and what you do and, you know, for a long time, not just recently, it's, it's been fun to watch you evolve. Cause I remember, man, I remember when you were writing your articles for the sportsman's warehouse stuff and you know doing those really crummy videos and yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they're pretty bad. We've come a long way, but the one thing I think that I do well, is that what you asked to? Yeah, absolutely. I want to know, like brag a little, like the, everyone's got their thing that the, the discipline for that yeah. comes easy. Uh, for me, like the thing that I do well is I'm, I guess like when I'm elk hunting, I am, I feel like I'm pretty tenacious. Like uh, I'll, I'll go to the 11th hour the 11th minutes or whatever that saying is right i mean i've killed bulls at 30 seconds left of, of daylight you know i'll walk out in the moonlight i'll walk in in the moonlight you know i i, I don't give up and that's you know I've, I've killed a lot of animals on the last day just because i haven't given up and, and there's a lot of chances you know for, for any of us in, in any aspect of our life right to just throw in the towel it's easy to do right it's easy everybody to do it so 
you know, I killed a bull a couple of years ago when I was supposed to be driving home, but I said, screw it. I heard a bugle from camp and I said, I just raced out of camp. I'm like, I'm, I'm going and yeah. I ended up killing a bull and I, I was probably late for whatever I was supposed to be at, but just not quitting, I think, um, is, is a lesson that my dad taught me in life. You know, you, you don't have to go out for whatever team next year, but you're not quitting this year, right? You're not quitting this project. Um, you're going to, whatever it is you're doing, see it through the results aren't, I mean, the whole thing about if you try real hard, you're going to get what you want is, is BS. I mean, not everybody gets what they want. Um, but you sure learn a lot about yourself and you sure, sure develop a lot personally. Um, if you do finish that out, even if you don't ultimately reach your goal. Oh, dude, that's awesome. And, and I like people to really dig in on that last sentence you said. So you can't always control, almost never can control the outcome, but you can control your effort and you can control your attitude. In the process, you, you have to embrace it and enjoy it. And it's not always going to come easy and it may never come. And that's out of your control. But control, you can control. That's huge. Man, this has been awesome. I'm going to go catch dinner with the fam, man. Um, where can people find you on social media? Because that's what people do. Yeah, uh, Instagram, 406farmer. Uh, you can see everything from dead animals to cute babies to vegetable gardens and bees that like to sting you in the face. Oh, dude, I'm looking you up right now. I'm going <laughs> to find you. And I'm really interested. I'm going to have you come back on. And we're going to talk nothing but how to be a better farmer. Yeah, I'm down. Let's, I'm for real. Anytime you want. <laughs> I do. I have two acres. I have all the room in the world now to, for a garden. It is time. So uh, we'll, we'll get you started this year. We'll get you started small, and then we'll, we'll build into something bigger. Awesome. Drew, man, God bless you. Great talking to you, man. And I hope to see you sooner than later. Appreciate it, man. Good talking. All right. Take care. All right. I hope you enjoy that episode. Again, that was Drew Steinberger. You can look him up on Instagram, follow along in his journey of being a dad, a marketing manager, a gardener, a beekeeper, and a pretty badass do-it-yourself bow hunter out of Montana. Great dude. We'll bring him on again for certain and definitely one of my favorite guys. If you're still listening and you need a new pair of boots for 2018, Think about Kinetrek boots. That's what I'm rocking right now. That's what I've been rocking since 2010. And if you use the code ELKSHAPE, all one word, at checkout with any boot purchase, you're going to get a free pair of Kinetrek gaiters. And I think that would be awesome, especially on those rainy days in September. There's always a few where I hunt and Kinetrek boots, I rock them. I use the hard scrambles primarily for elk. And it's a Montana-based company, so that's why I bring it up. Thanks for listening to the show. We'll catch you guys on the next one. Stay hungry. Stay disciplined.